just like I don't. I don't. I, <laughs> it's a hard. Problem. I'm not even. Gonna I don't. Think. Yeah, I don't like summarizing things. I feel like it's. I have a hard time at it. All right, it's rolling. Whenever you feel, jump in. Okay, y'all ready to go? Yep. Okay. Hello and welcome. <clears throat> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to get hello, hello. <laughs> hey, it's beer in a movie where we do two things really, really well. We drink beer and we watch movies. It's me, Joe Hilliard. And I'm here with Ethan Thompson, and we try to talk about them well. Yeah, I'm Ethan Thompson, and I uh, teach, study, write about, talk about movies and TV for a living. I'm Carlos Cooper. I'm a record store owner, beer drinker, movie watcher. And I'm Dave Gurney, a film-obsessed guy who's been a craft beer drinker most of my adult life, and more recently, a home brewer. I can't speak to the home brewing, but I did everything else you said, David. <laughs> and, and, and listen, uh, Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman are back together uh, for a third film together, and we've got some fantastic beers to drink. Let's get into it. We're going to be talking about Tully and then some of the, that, that couple's collaborations prior to now. But uh, like we like to do, let's open a beer, and we'll talk about uh, Tully here in just a second. But David Gurney, tell us, I think you brought the beer to the party that today. I did, and I was... Oh, oh. oh that, that was nice. It's nice. one of them fancy cork ones. That's right. So this is a corked bottle of Brooklyn Brewings Local One. So, uh, and why'd you bring this one to the table? Well, because... A significant sequence in the movie Tully takes place in Brooklyn, so I thought Brooklyn Brewing would work. And, and in fact, even apart from that sequence, there's kind of an interesting way that Brooklyn resonates. Yeah, it's part of the imaginary of the film. Right. So, so to, to kind of set things up, thank you, Joe. Um, th- this film, um, which is the re- um, reunion of screenwriter Diablo Cody and director Jason Reitman, uh, bring them together also with a cast member, significant cast member from one of their uh, past efforts. That is a film ha- featuring them looking at the life of a woman approaching middle age, uh, about to have a child, kind of a late, late in life, kind of unplanned child with her husband and sort of the impact that it has on her, their relationship, the family, all of that, um, exploring kind of similar territory to what they've done before, but we'll talk about that later in the episode. And before we move any further, I should like to say that there are five men at this table, four of which are fathers. That's true. One yeah. of which is, the, of course, the youngest kid in the room. We make fun <laughs> of him for that purpose. I'm not even sure exactly what he did wrong, but uh, Carlos... Fathers in, of daughters. Not exactly. So I think that moving forward, we should say that uh, motherhood versus fatherhood are two very different things, and we're going to approach this from... Maybe how you comport yourself. All right. So, David, tell us about Tully. So, so Tully um, finds us uh, starting with, again, uh, we have Charlize Theron. Her, her character uh, is pregnant. She's about to have a baby. Um, as she's preparing to have the baby, her brother, who is a much more successful uh, in, in terms of uh, making he's lots rich. of money. He's a rich guy. Um, played by Mark G-Wagon. Duplass. 
You got the G wagon. What is the G wagon? I didn't even know that reference. Uh, Mercedes makes this really nice SUV called the G dash whatever. Oh, okay. Well, there we he go. He just calls it the G wagon. All right, and I have yeah. no interest in motor vehicles. It's like vehicles, the C class so yeah. or whatever. Okay, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, her brother kind of insists that his present to them upon this baby coming is going to be a night nanny, which is a nanny that will come as the evening approaches and allow the parents to sleep through the night, especially the mom, um, who would normally be kind of taking care, especially with the breastfeeding regimen. Um, of, of the baby over the evening hours. And so she resists at first, but then seems to succumb to that uh, offer of the gift and brings this night nanny in, who then a lot of the film is kind of her relationship developing with this night nanny um, as we sort of see it unfold over the course of whatever, 90 minutes. Yeah, in a second, we'll talk about Juno and uh, Young Adult. The, the two films in that order that these uh, writer-director team have done together. But for Tully, it's an anecdote to, I think, last episode's film, like the idea of uh, the bombastic superhero film. Here is a tight, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. short, small... Very small story. Small and story, human interesting. Yeah, I agree. And uh, uh, I I find it... You know, you, you, you mentioned how we're all uh, men around here. One of the reasons I, I enjoyed this film and the other collaborations between Diablo Cody and um, Jason Reitman is that even as a male viewer, I find myself empathizing and identifying with the female characters in a way, particularly Charlize Theron's in both of these films. Um, I enjoy, uh, it's not often that I see a film like that where I feel like I, I there's something useful and interesting and revealing about human character that I'm seeing in the film and it's through Charlize Theron and her experience as a mother or as a young adult, which is quite different. Well, I think that Charlize Theron is amazing. Like just not, not just in this movie, but let's, I mean, just everything she's in. She's so even that, uh, stupid fast and furious movie she was in. She was so good. At. She was in one of the fast and, and furious the most recent Mad one. Max. Mad uh, Max. Yeah. Amazing in Mad Max, but Oh she, yeah, no, that was, that was, you great. know, I know that she has received some critical praise and some credit and stuff, but I don't, I don't know if she gets enough credit because I don't, I can't think of anything. So I've seen her she that gets I credit she in this film for but like she is very good in this movie, and, and she's like not a glamorous. No, uh, the, no, I mean no, that's no. what it's about. She's a mother and she's depressed about being a mother and which, unhappy with maybe how her her life is played out. Yeah, which and, speaks to her range because she's you know supposed to be like kind of glamorous and super hot in that Fast and Furious movie, which is the last thing I saw her in, which is why I uh, keep going back to that, but. I I agree with you about. Although we 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 have to correct the. It's not Fast and Furious. She's not in Fast and Furious. She is. Yeah. I think I think she was in the most recent one. Yeah. Uh, Fate of the Furious. I think is what it was called. I I haven't seen that. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you know. (laughs) I feel I feel like we need to start. Uh, Come back. No, 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 no. no. Throwing us off, Jim. Youngest and at the table, yet somehow the most knowledgeable. (laughs) So you know, if you. When it comes to Fast and Furious, when it comes you to, may you have know, that. Yeah, you, you win, <laughs> you can have the win. I'll take that one. You can have it. Uh, right, right. So, the, But the, no, I think she's really good in this movie, and I agree with what Ethan was saying about you empathize with her a lot. Ron Livingston, is, you know, his character is not the most redeemable. He seems kind of very... No, but... They, but, you know... And that's, you know, honestly... They're all a, complicated characters, though. And have, they are. You know, so that, Multidimensional yeah. characters, for sure. And I think you're right. I mean, Charlize Theron is 
I think a great actress. She's done a lot. I mean, she did win the Oscar. I mean, Monster yeah. was a was a great film. But the, you, know, I, I think you're right. She's kind of taken for granted in a certain sense because she doesn't tend to play up the glamour aspect um, and and do those big roles. She hasn't succumbed to the uh, big regular paydays of say romantic comedies. You know what yeah. I mean? Like an actress um, could fall into. And so you see her taking on these films that really don't seem like the obvious choices. I mean, her doing The Fate of the, Fur- the Furious, I think, is a, is a pretty interesting move. Um, Atomic Blonde, which oh, is a so film that good. Was, was out last year, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You know, another one that was sort of this big action, but really well done. Made no splash at all. It, 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 uh, made, it no made a splash, splash with me. That movie's <laughs> badass. I right. was... I think I think for action film aficionados, yes, but you're right. It was not a blockbuster no. in that big sense. But then to see her come and do something like this, very much more modest, small scale, um, where it's really character driven. It's really about let's see this character unfold and and deglamorizing herself. I mean, yeah. she oh, yeah. is. I mean, Which a lot is of the, the second major time she's done that, of course, after Monster, where she won the Oscar for deglamorizing right. herself. Right. So the, I mean, but. In this case, and I think with Monster too, but the, but but in this case, really using her body as part of the film. I mean, it's about the changes her body is mm-hmm. going through. That kind it has of, to be. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, I mean, it to tell this story, mm-hmm. yes, right. I mean, because this is a story about birth and the toll it takes on the human body and the human psyche. Mm-hmm. Right? All right. So that so so now we're kind of hinting around this, and in my summary, I kind of I I didn't go fully there, but really. Hinted at it though. Yeah, I did hint, right? <laughs> but but the real kind of twist in this story, we should who, just go out. Who is telling? The, the, the spoiler free uh, portion of the podcast ends right now. <laughs> right. So anybody who wants to see Tully first before you hear us talk about what this film ultimately ends up being, should they see it before? Should they? Let's see say it. right now. I think you should see it. I 100%. think so. Oh, absolutely, you should, see it, yeah. you should yeah. see it. Great movie. But it, if you don't want to have it spoiled, shut it off now. Here we go. Okay, we gave you that chance. <laughs> Tully is not real, right? Tully is essentially her, her, maiden name. her as a young woman, right? Exactly. So her maiden last name is Tully, and Tully's the night nanny. Just Tully to, is the night I nanny, played that. by Mackenzie Davis. So we have a distinct, of San different fame. Yes, of San Junipero and uh, Halt and Catch Fire. I don't know if anybody watched that series mm-hmm. on AMC. It was really good. Um, so, the, so uh, another younger actress playing this night nanny who. At the close of the film, really just in the last act, gets revealed to be essentially a manifestation of the lead character, Charlize Theron's own sort of youth, right? I mean, right. it's it's her, the version of her that was in her 20s. You find out that, the, that this is really a film about mental illness, um, or I don't know what euphemism you want to describe that. And I have to say, I will admit this, I didn't see it coming. Really? I totally, I did not get it until the moment when it when he says her maiden name yeah. is Tully. I I did not get it until that moment, mm-hmm. and then I guess I was spending so much, a significant part of my time in this film was spent w- wondering. I can't believe that she just let 
her husband have sex with this really good looking night nanny. <laughs> I should have gotten it. <laughs> Who's half her age? Yeah. Uh, that was a big. And, and now going back through it, it's kind of fun to yeah. like relive the film and think about all the moments that right. were in her imagination. For example, you know, Dave, when you introduced the, 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 the film and you said her brother offers to pay for this night nanny, I don't even think that happened. Really? I don't think that happened because no, in that of scene. Of course not. Of course no, not. No, I think it did. No, I, here's I why I don't. Here's, oh, I see what you're saying. I, 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 here's why I. I, I say no, because they go and they're in this room. His tiki Together, turns right, the room, right, and he says, right. "I'm going to make us drinks." And she's going and she has drinks. Prior to that, they made a big deal about she, her she's not getting drinking. decaf. Yeah, she's yeah, being yeah. careful. So that's this fantasy moment where she actually has this mm. liquor drink. And no, because well, he doesn't. He, he doesn't put liquor in both glasses. First of all, and second of all, Ron maybe it just happened off screen. Ron Livingston's character talks to him. Yes, the night right at the birthday party. Yeah, you were, okay. Th- there is that sequence. Right. That's at the why. Birthday that's party. why I think that conversation. But I. Happen. But I understand. I and I when I watch it again, and that's okay. Right there, this is a movie that going into it, if you don't know that twist. I think will reward a second viewing, and I haven't had it yet. Yeah. yeah. But to go back through and kind of think through the Kaiser Soze viewing. Yes. Right. Yes. Exactly. Like, okay, now I know what that reveal is. Let me see how all of these conversations mm-hmm. unfold. Let me see yeah. how all of these characters yeah. interact. But it was, I mean, I think really agreed. Pretty carefully done. I'll and, watch this movie with my uh, fiance. And I'll enjoy it in a way that she doesn't enjoy it because I won't tell her a thing that about. Uh, good, good, right. yeah. You yeah, understand? Yeah. What I'm Don't saying? let her listen to the podcast. No, I won't. <laughs> I, I, I never do. <laughs> You're getting drunk talking about movies. Uh, you know, is yeah, we yeah. aren't all doing that. Okay, uh, Joe. Right. Uh, so, right. <laughs> real quick though, to, to go sure. back to Ethan saying he didn't see the the twist coming. I didn't see the specifics of the twist coming, but. The scene we were just talking about that makes us think that the night nanny thing uh-huh. actually happened when uh-huh. Ron Livingston says something to Mark Duplass's character about it. Mark Duplass seems surprised to hear that, right. yet he offered to pay for it. So it would seem that if right. she had taken up his offer, he, he would, would be aware of it. He would know he was paying. Yeah, he was right. paying. And hits. so when he is, seems kind of oblivious to that information, at that point you're like, okay, something there is something going on well and even and livingston looks a little confused there and that was and that comes right after the scene where there's this supposed like sexual encounter and i I thought he was going to say something to yes to be like hey is this something that normally happens with these night nannies do you guys always have sex (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like we all enjoyed this movie very much oh yeah absolutely i mean Eh. i I, no Uh, well okay come come hit come Uh, tell us what's going on so I do think it is a good movie and everyone should see it. But I went in with kind of low expectations because I had mentioned how much the trailer had stressed me out when I saw it the first, like, you know, three what did, or four What did you mean, though? I don't understand. Um, so, so one thing in movies that is always kind of, that always makes me really uncomfortable, and I guess it's kind of supposed to, but it makes me, like, next level uncomfortable, is hearing, like, a child cry, like, an infant cry or scream. Like, Ooh. the first time that I ever had that reaction was there's a scene in The Godfather where... You know they're doing like mafia shit or whatever, and the guy's wife is like holding <laughs> holding a screaming child, and he's just gonna like whatever, man. You know, and I'm just like, no, this kid is obviously upset. Like somebody needs to do something, and I don't know. It just makes me there's this helpless, you know, person. And there, you're not and even it, a dad, yet. And, and it makes it just makes me so <laughs> uncomfortable. That he's not a dad gives him that context because uh, to the th- to the rest of the other four of us, that's just noise. Yeah, so and, it makes me really uncomfortable. And then also seeing Charlize Theron's character in those trailers just being so overwhelmed and helpless and unable to really do anything about it also made me, I was like, man, this movie's just going to be now, so I, stressful for me that I just don't know that I want to see it. Uh-huh. And so then when it, when it's, 
you know, I'm, I'm about halfway through it, and it for me at that point it becomes about this relationship that. Uh, the mother is having with this night nanny Mm -hmm. and the way that it's also kind of seeping into her relationship with her husband and also just this relationship between the two of them, like these two women that are caring for the same child. And there was just, there was so much going on there that I was really interested to see how the film was going to end and what, what it was going to be like after that night nanny kind of disappeared and the aftermath it was going to have on her, you, her life. Oh, you saw the night nanny disappearing coming? No, no, I'm saying like not not disappearing in terms of it being like this kind of hallucination. Right. I I thought the night nanny was real for most of it, but mm-hmm. when she left, because he said, he, Mark Duplass said he would pay for it for like a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. So once she's gone, you knew and there she was loses, a shelf life. And you she that, loses yeah. this confidant. And someone who at the time I thought had, you know, also had sex with her husband. And <laughs> I, and so I was just really interested in, like, how that was going to play out and what it was going to mean for her character and for the right. rest of raising this child and the relationship with her husband and how that's changed. Yeah. And it was this real thing for most of the movie for me mm-hmm. that I thought was going to have real significant consequences. Right. And I was very interested to see right. how that was going to play out. And then all of a sudden it was like, it was all a dream. See, that's why I said Kaiser Soze at the, a little earlier. Yeah. This is a Kaiser Soze movie. What you know to be real is not real. But Kaiser is real, though. It's just you didn't know who he was. Correct. So right. it's still grounded in reality. But and this to movie, create that situation, well, Kevin Spacey has to act like he's... Yes, yeah, right. for sure. But right. but when he starts walking without a limp, sure. he's still a real person that has done real things right. that have caused real consequences. Right. And this one, it's kind of just like... Uh, yeah. And that was the biggest yeah. problem for me for the film was was I wanted it to all be real is what I'm saying. Yeah, I wanted to be a when you go back and look at it, and I'm sure I'll watch it a second time. Oh, for sure. I'll watch I, it I would definitely time. will, and I'll be able to use I'll be able to use my uh, intellectual inferiority. I'm sorry. Uh, if I'm going to use the idea that I'm smarter than the filmmakers to be able to say I figured this out or whatever it is, but I wasn't. I mean, the the, the third act hit me as hard as it would anybody else. Yeah. Now I have to go back and watch it a second time. And the idea that you're watching a movie for the second time on purpose is that a success of the yeah, film. That's a good point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And it's a simple, a fairly simple film, small story, and that I, that's all I mean by that. Or if I watch it with someone that I haven't wa- has never yeah. seen it before, I get to have a intellectual superiority. I'm to curious. Them for- I'm curious to watch this one with my wife too, just yeah, because so much of it is that's about what, being a mother am. and having exactly. a nurse. And like, have you ever right. seen a film where they have an extended scene about how painful it is exactly. when you really need have, to nurse Have any your of you guys seen some of the social media fallout for this film? No. no. Okay. The idea is that there are two things that exist in the world, and I'm not. And, and that's why I said at the beginning, we are fathers, not mothers. Here, there is. Postpartum depression, we all know about that, but there's mm-hmm. postpartum psychosis. And there's a um, backlash to this film of it having a, uh, a, a protagonist that is uh, a victim, uh, not a victim, but a uh, has postpartum a psychosis, which is one out of two out of every thousand births. I've done a little research. And uh, that this is uh, not a great way to paint the picture of a mother. Yeah. And I can't speak to that. I'll be honest with you. I can't speak to that. But as a Jason Reitman, Cody Diablo film, I thought this was fantastic. Yeah, I it, really enjoyed this in a way that I didn't like their second film together. Now, now one thing Ooh. I'll say about what you said Fighting is words. it's not a great painting of this 
type of person that exists in real life? Well, if it was, there would be no conflict and it wouldn't be a movie. Yeah. That's the thing about it is you're taking something that doesn't happen that often, like you said, one in every two, one or two of every thousand birds, and you know, right. you're know you going down the most conflict-ridden way that that situation can play mm-hmm. out because that's what well, so, and instead, creates yeah, the drama. And I, and I think, okay, what, what I like about this, absolutely, like what I want somebody to walk away from this film thinking this is what most women experience with child, or even most women experience when they have that postpartum kind of depression or psychosis or whatever it is. Absolutely not. But what it does, I think, is is show us a variation on that and it allows us to kind of play out this what is it like to see that earlier version of oneself that sort of can can imagine what it would be like to be a parent mm-hmm. versus that one who is now a parent. And, and that com- those conversations they have and how Mackenzie Davis as Tully, this mm-hmm. earlier version mm-hmm. of Charlize Theron's mm-hmm. Marlowe, mm-hmm. is very calm and very collected and very like, oh, this is how it works. And that's how you can be before you actually have kids. We, that we, is we the have. experience that you can have before children. Right. And then once you're actually in it and you're dealing with the quirks of their personalities yeah. and, like and when they need to feed and all that. And that stuff gets really complicated and, and sticky and tense and stressful. And that's what Marlowe is. And so you have that kind of like, hey, remember when we used to just think about what it was like to have kids and we knew that like, oh, you can manage this and you're going to get through it versus the I'm in this every day. And th- and that was really kind of interesting to see play out. And in I'll be completely honest with you. I like the idea that we have inside of us the ability to solve any problem if we go deeper inside ourselves. I like that concept of it. Yeah. Which is ultimately the, the, the lesson of the movie, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, aside from, like you said, this isn't what you want everyone to watch this and think that this is what it means to have a baby. Um, the fact is that it's... It's got this broader story to tell, which is maybe retreading a little bit of the stuff of young adult, of um, you know what it means to become an adult, become a parent, to get to 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 leave behind this earlier life that you led, where you could do all these things again, and that's one of the ways in which we can watch this film and enjoy it and want to recommend it. Aside from being four of us. Uh, uh, parents is that it's this very human story. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think you know a lot, a lot of what I loved about this movie, and I really did. I I loved it yeah, I, un- unequivocally. I think this is one of those films that everybody who is a living, breathing human should be able to get something yeah. out of. Because even if you're not a parent, even if you're not interested in becoming a parent, it's really about like these stresses and these experiences that we all have and how we tr- sort of navigate them. And I think what Joe said earlier, how we can sometimes reach within ourselves and find something there that we're not even expecting to find. That's a good and, and that, So I don't know. It, it's, it's really an interesting thing. But let's get back to this beer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so you know, I picked the Brooklyn because part of her early life, right? What what yeah. what Tully was based in was this life in Brooklyn that Marlowe had had in her twenties, where she was kind of now halcyon days, halcyon days, salad and, days, and, and and days of like a, a fluid sexuality too. Yes, right? she had this. Yes, kind of, which they don't really play up too you know, much. But I did you think I have to ask this? Okay, 
I, I felt that they were actually toying with that in that scene um, with the nursing where she's helping her in the restroom. Yeah. That they're, that they're toying that we think that there's going to be even be a sexual yes, relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was seeing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. was interesting to me. Well, but but then, I mean, like, the friend of hers who they went yeah. to the loft and stuff. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that was clearly in there, too. But I liked how they kind of handled it. But let's get back. Brooklyn was where that all happened. This kind yes. of freedom, this this hipster freedom that people there's have. dog bakeries where there was one people bakeries right so 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 you have the old hipster lamenting how the new hipsters have gone awry but whatever the case may be brooklyn brewery has been there since the 90s okay so this is early wave hipsterism in brooklyn and i think they put out some of the greatest beer ever made i mean yeah. their lager is fantastic but the this special series that they do these bigger bottles the brooklyn local one which i don't know how long they've been brewing it but it's a long time doing a belgian style strong ale what do you guys think How'd you get your hands on this? Well, this is available. I mean, you can go. Liquid Town has it. I, okay. mean, I, I say that's our Shout local. Out to Liquid Town. That is our local beer shop um, that we, we we go. All of us go to fairly regularly, except for Ethan, who doesn't drink right now. Um, but and may or may not have bought a bottle of five year old Hirachino. Uh, <laughs> that's true. He got Ginger, that there. Perhaps yeah, yeah. that happened there. Yeah, that might have happened. Smaller. But 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 in any case, you can get this if you have a decent beer liquor store in your neighborhood. You're probably able to get your hands on. I this. love it. It's yeah, fa- it's 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 a fantastic ale. It's delicious. Yeah. What what do you think, Carlos? Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. Big they fan. do make great stuff. One of my favorite uh, beers ever is their Sriracha A's. Ooh, yeah. I almost picked up. The some sriracha ace, but I could not get any fresh. Stuff. Yeah, it's funny in sriracha, not sriracha. No, when I no. tell people I like that sriracha ace, they somehow <laughs> think that it's a sriracha it's a, beer, yeah, right, which would be an awful thing. Yes, this beer has almost no, no, no. a perfect carbonation. Perfect carbonation and like that slight, I mean, like a Belgian should, a little bit of kind of that fruity estery kind of thing, but it's not over the top. Mm. It's not like they're adding fruit to it. It's very nice, very drinkable, but also pretty high in alcohol. 9%. I mean, we're, 9% yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go. So It's a full-ass beer. Yes, it is, indeed. <laughs> just just like uh, Tully is a full-ass movie. Okay. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, and then when we get back, let's, let's look a little bit about what Jason Reitman and, and Diablo Cody have done prior to now. All right. All right. Okay, so we're now going to talk about two more movies from Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman, Juno from 2007 and Young Adult from 2011. Um, and we've got a beer that we're going to enjoy here. That th- This is a big beer. This is a big beer in a number of ways, um, and maybe you've heard of it. It is Goose Island Bourbon County Stout, and this is going to be good, and we're going to enjoy this. And I'm going to open it. That's Ooh, good right there. That sounds good. That's a good uh, sounds good. So young adult again stars Charlize Theron as Mavis, who is a thirty-something uh, woman living by herself in Minneapolis. Uh, and we are introduced to her. She is uh, seemingly passed out, face down in bed. There's an empty bottle of wine, or, or a half full bottle of wine, maybe, on the dresser next to, next to her. And she gets up, and amongst various things, as she goes across her email, is a message with a picture of her of a baby that we learn is the uh, newborn first child of her ex back in the 1990s. So the film follows Mavis as she goes back to her hometown where this ex still lives 
And, um, well, she decides to try to steal him back, actually. Um, and the reason, though, more importantly for us with this beer, is that she runs into another guy from high school who happens to distill his own bourbon in his garage. And he calls it bourbon, even though they're in Minnesota. And the aficionados out there will know that you're not supposed to do that. You should just call it whiskey. But whatever. Right. right. So we are having this bourbon county stout from goose island right i need to interrupt us right now of the four of us that are talking the person that's bringing the best beers to the party is david gurney <laughs> let's first i mean but that's pretty normal though. Yeah, right He's so up. when he brings a bourbon county from 2017 and says i got a 2015 and a 2014 in the <laughs> yeah, cellar uh, we go okay uh, you're the winner and then, uh, uh, so let's just say that first of all. That Some people Gurney have that ability, our, not just not just the inclination to buy lots of beer and to enjoy it, but also the ability to store it and not immediately drink all of it. Well, and Dave, is, he has that gift. He he, here's what I'll say. I, I look at beer as something that I like to share with people. That's right. And I like it when I get a special bottle of something that I feel like is going to age well, that I'm going to be able to have that with some fine folks later on at a date to be determined. And right now, when we're talking about a film that features a character who distills his own bourbon in his garage. Played by. But let's talk about this beer for one more second. How, how, I have a lot to say about this. How beer. did you find the beer before we let's talk about the film yeah but before we do how did you get the 2017 and how do you have a 2015 or what 14 whatever you said in your cellar right okay. tell us about you and how you get beer <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm on trial no or you're something. not on trial okay, right, right. I asked earlier who your beer plug was right. and everyone looked at me funny and now Joe's asking you know I want to know how I get this beer know. in my life and so how do oh, you do come it on. so w- Bourbon County now Goose Island this, this is actually kind of a, a, a somewhat sad thing to realize is that when you uh, are, are looking at the world of beer craft beer there is a lot of controversy around these bigger breweries these large mega conglomerates buying up other small breweries of Goose course. Island for many years was a craft brewery out of Chicago that when I was living in Chicago back in the 2000s was sort of the apex of great beer in Chicago oh, Sure. a few years back they were purchased by AB InBev, which is a huge mega conglomerate international that has lots of different, and people are, I'm sure, familiar with Budweiser and others of their offerings. Of course. And so when they bought Goose, Goose Island, they brought in the money to be able to amp up production so that with these specialty beers that they do, like the Bourbon County line that they do, um, they can pump out so much of it now that you really can get this anywhere. So here in Corpus Christi, Texas, we get cases of Bourbon County Stout, which is a fantastic beer made very well under some very tough conditions. And even here, we can get multiple bottles of this. So, and so you put this in the cellar. Exactly. So when it comes out, and it usually comes out, there's actually a, a timed release. It comes out in November. Right around Black Friday, right? For those who were into shopping. Um, record store day. Record store day. For the, yes. A much more Fall important record. day. So you pick up these bottles and you can get four, five, six, ten. I mean, it depends. I mean, so how, how many of these 2017 20-ounce bottles will you buy? I think I probably got six or seven. And then you put them in your and cellar. And then I put them. I put Is this them, your last one? No. No, oh, no, no, no. no, no. <laughs> 
No, so I'll let you know. I'll put I'll put six of them aside. I'll put one in the refrigerator, and I'll split that with my wife, and we'll have a we'll have a nice evening drinking that. But then later, you know, a few months later, somebody's having an event or whatever. We're having a podcast. I'll b- grab a bottle. I'll pull so, it out. So let's talk about the beer a little bit yes. more than just yeah. the kind of special the or whatever. What, what is the, this beer? The beer is, according to Goose Island's website, a uh, liquid as dark and dense as a black hole <laughs> with thick foam of the color of a bourbon barrel. And it was brewed in honor of the thousandth batch of Goose Island's original Slyborn Brew Pub, I guess is Clyborn? how you pronounce that. Clyborn. Yeah. Um, it's 14.1%. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the color is described as midnight um, and it has a nose of uh, and it's an intense mix of charred oak Mm. chocolate vanilla caramel and smoke and now having tasted this uh, having sipped it a little bit I will say that this is without a doubt one of the best stouts that I've ever had Mm. and it there are the strong notes of vanilla and chocolate that uh, I'm enjoying a great deal well we'll we'll, we'll talk more about the flavor later but I think for sure that midnight black I, w- I wanted to get more into your life, David. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's, let's talk about young adult. All right. So, so young adult, I think um, the, the second outing of Jason Reitman as director, Diablo Cody as screenwriter, we pick up the same lead actress, right? Charlize Theron playing a m- approaching middle age, not quite at middle age, um, woman who has had a somewhat... What I mean? How would you describe it? I mean, she was divorced. She's divorced. She she had like a bad relationship. But we only find that out in the midst. We don't know that. That's true. To start with, but but you can tell she's not happy. Right. She's not happy. She's an interesting case of a a character for me anyway. A character that is not necessarily a likable person in a lot of ways, and yet I empathize with her, and I do end up liking her by the end of the film, even though she seems to be sort of. A sociopath and a little bit in that she doesn't care about um, ripping apart a family um, or ever really care about like the way that she treated people in high school right. or who she goes back and visits. There, there's low self-awareness. She's so, in- she's so interesting to me. And I, Charlie Theron in this film was just fantastic. Um, but I really like, I just enjoy it as a story of someone who maybe has made this life choice and for a second they think, well, maybe I really screwed up. It's like the flip side of of Tully in the sense that she is still, she's not married, doesn't have any children, she's alone, um, she's single, that is. She lives in Minneapolis, which is not Brooklyn, but it's the Minneapolis for those people in Minnesota. It is like the big city. <laughs> so I think it's interesting that you just said that this is an unlikable, somewhat unredeemable character that you connected with. Because when we talked about Anomalisa, that was the main thing that you didn't like about that film was that the character was unlikable. And that no, it was, that wasn't it. interesting. <laughs> and the movie wasn't interesting. It w- it wasn't that. All right. That's all why right. I'm saying it's a good example <laughs> of like, and it is an interesting film with numbers of interesting scenes, and she is an interesting character because of what she does. Yeah. And the way that she interacts yeah. with people. And she go she goes there and she does the things that you think, well, if she really wants him, she would do this, even though that'd be really obnoxious and horrible, and yet she does. Everything them. she does is obnoxious and horrible. She is one of the most self-centered characters that led a film that I've seen in I don't even know how long. And yeah, like you said, self-awareness is at an all-time low in in this character. Okay, here's... And it's cringy. 
half, 50% of the film, I watched it this morning. I me never too. seen it before. Me too. So 50% of this film is just me, like, just tense, cringing at yeah. everything she's saying and doing. And this is a film where at the end of the film, she hasn't really changed. I don't right? Know. She, she's going back to Minneapolis. She's leaving everyone behind. She hasn't, like, she had this great awareness. changes, though. Almost. And this is why I, the, the thing I like about this film is that she comes to the realization that she does not belong there, that those are not her people. And the way that that plays out for me where it does create some empathy for her as a, as a, as a person or as a character is, like, she tells her mom, she's, like, at the breakfast table with her parents, she says, I think I'm an alcoholic. And they, like, can't even listen to her. They're yeah. like, oh, don't say that. Like they can't, they're not, they cannot engage her on that level. Right. And then by the end of the film where she has this showdown at the naming party or whatever it is, and she kind of throws everything out there. Uh, so you, you, you learn about how she had a miscarriage with this guy that she's trying to win back and all that stuff. Um, you know, the big scene is that, that it turns out it wasn't him that sent her the invite. It was his wife. Right. Who, who thought that would make her somehow um, happy or they, they feel sorry for her and so they wanted to invite her to the same. And it did the absolute opposite of that. It was like they had no clue whatsoever how to treat her or what to, to send her to actually make her, you know, supposedly happy or involve them somehow. She It was all the absolute wrong thing. Yeah. And so she realizes that and then she's like, okay, so this isn't me. I'm leaving and I'm going back and I I just like I something about that I just really enjoy well I think what I loved about so I I saw this film when it came out and I remember really finding it just incredibly unique in that it was this character that I had not quite seen on screen before but that was so familiar to me that there was and I think part of that is you know it's definitely a Gen X character and so that's kind of you know there's a there's a kindred sort of you know element there where I'm I'm thinking okay this is somebody who's grown up I and mean, it references the 90s absolutely I mean that teenage fan club song that yeah. gets used the concept um, which is a great song and and, and you kind of get that repeatedly the, there there's little elements in there that are just really wonderful kind of I don't know what it is like just little elements that kind of paint that picture in a way that I don't think I've seen other films capture really so well. And it's a character that is on one level, totally repugnant and reprehensible. And you do not want to see these things happening. And what Carlos was saying earlier about like you're tense because you just know she's going to do the wrong thing in almost every situation. And yet I think what Ethan says by the end of the film, not that I'm rooting for her, but I understand what's happened. I see where things went awry. I see where she did not get the right idea at a certain point, and, and, and that's left her on this very self-absorbed kind of path. But she's terribly unhappy, right? I mean, you never feel like this character is in a better place because she feels better than everybody else. One of my favorite parts about the movie is the way in which... So she's a writer. She ghostwrites this young adult series right and it's kind of a um uh i don't know what, what's the series about the gossip girl sort of thing right where there's yeah um anyway so you hear her voice narrating what's going on in the book and the way it ends is that in the book uh which the series is ending is that the girl's graduated high school and she's going on to her life to wherever she's going to go and how 
how great that's going to be. And that becomes at the end of the film too. Like she's written her way that she's left this town. She's never going back. She doesn't care about the guy. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't have anywhere to go with that. I just like, what it. was Tarantino? <laughs> this is a, a pause off camera. Okay. Good. <clears throat> what we is Tarantino's right, second pause. film besides Pulp Fiction? It's third Wait. film. See, to me, and we'll talk about Juno in a second, but to me, this was like Jason Reitman saying, this is my second film, and that film was Jackie Brown. Hmm. You Interesting. Know, like, the one that we don't talk about ever when it comes to Tarantino's filmography. Interesting. Like, like, That's true. This is the one that isn't exceptional. Hmm. But I know, Ethan, that you're a big fan of young adults, so you can bring a perspective to it that I can't. But for me, it's like, and we'll talk about them in backward order, but Juno was so good. Juno was... Well, yeah, let's talk about what Juno was, right? I mean, so the, so I think what young adult couldn't be was as zeitgeisty as Juno, right? right. I mean, no Juno way. was a film that came out, and now we're talking about 2007, so four years before. Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere, Diablo Cody has never written a film, right. and Jason Reitman had right. only directed Thank You for Smoking, which was which was fairly successful, so he had made a little bit, and he's the son of Ivan Reitman. We haven't mentioned that yet, who was an incredibly successful he, he has a um, ticket. comedy film director. So people you know, kind of had an awareness of him, but then Juno comes out, and it is this film made on very small budget without any huge stars that just out of the gate gets rave reviews, mm-hmm. incredible rave reviews. And it's sort of a defining film of 2000s indie cinema. And so, and, and part of that... And, and deservedly so, uh, I will say. I don't know. I, okay, so the, here, here's where there's a little disagreement. Oh, I love, let's, let's fight. I love Young Adult. <laughs> I really enjoyed Tully. I do not necessarily love Juno. I didn't love it in its moment, and rewatching it again now, I still have my reservations. To me, it is a film that was trying a little too hard to be that kind of clever film filled with dialogue that's just like every line is a one-liner, everything can be pulled out. And so I like Ellen Page, I like Michael Sarah okay. He has a limited range. But every time I'm hearing those characters speak, it just doesn't feel like real characters. It feels like a screenwriter's approximation of young people no. talking. No? To, me, to me, it lands as everything you just described. I mean, it really okay. does. It lands it. Mm. Juno lands it. And then Young Adult is the second thing that I'm going to do. Okay. Well, th- to me, young and it's ad- not as good young as, adult- as Juno. But to Ethan, young adult is superior to Juno. I, I don't think any of us are wrong. I mean, it's just subjective. Yeah. No, th- th- I'm not going to try to fight you on which, you know, what film resonates more. But when I see a film like Juno, I feel like, okay, I'm experiencing somebody's simulation of what it's like to be young and witty and into cool music and pregnant. And that, that, that is a, when I see young adult, I see, you see the evolution. I see, I see the evolution and I see like, this is the reality to a certain extent of what it's like to be confused and not good <laughs> and, and to be a character that's essentially an anti-hero in a way that uh, I I see few antiheroes. Yeah, and I like I like that that aspect. I'm going to veer back to young adults about why I like it is it's 
she, she it's it's like a classic like what if thing, you know? Like, well, what if if you just decided I'm I somewhere I got off, so I'm just going to go back to where I was at that point in my life, right? And try I'm to gonna, pick it back up. I'm going to pick it right back up, you know? And I'm not going to give a shit about what anyone else <laughs> thinks about that because I know I'm blessed to know that that was the right person and that's who I should be with, you know? Yeah, which no one in the right mind would want to emulate that character like that. But for that film, you can see her go through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I honestly, I didn't watch it again because it, for me, I just, um, you had seen it many years ago. I've seen it many years ago and it kind of lives in that time, like Napoleon dynamite sort of, of this early two thousands moment to me, mid two thousand moment. I, I don't know. What do you think, Carlos? Uh, I think you totally just stole my Napoleon Dynamite I was just, out of I was, comparison that no, I said. No, I, I had earlier. Napoleon Dynamite in my pocket, and I was going <laughs> to pull it out, and then you said Napoleon Dynamite, and now... Oh, uh, you know, I get it. I'm the youngest. Yeah, you know, you guys I was, steal make, stuff I was offering you a segue. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I mean, for me, Juno was, yeah, it was definitely of like a certain time, and for for me personally, Napoleon Dynamite and Juno are the two movies that stick out as like my first introduction into independent film. Mm-hmm. Before that, I didn't really understand what it was. I probably didn't even know that it was a thing. And then these movies come out and like, you know, I'm in like, you know, seventh period athletics for basketball practice and all these people keep, you know, making these Napoleon Dynamite references. I'm like, what are you, the hell are any of you talking about? You guys sound like <laughs> idiots. And they're like, no, you have to see this movie. And so... I also didn't go back and rewatch Juno for that reason, but I do. I do probably like Michael Sarah more than maybe based on what some of you said. Uh, I more like than most. He just don't get me he has wrong. A specific thing that he, he does, does very he very does. well. I want to see that honestly. Top notch, like you know. So. I am I am definitely pulling for him to show that he has range. I, yeah. Hey, Arrested Jonah Development. Arrested yeah. Development, wonderful series, yeah. and I love totally. Michael Sarah in that. There's there's other uh, the, the uh, oh god Twin Peaks the, Edgar cameo Wright was Edgar Wright great. help me out here uh, the Edgar Wright the video Scott game Pilgrim? Scott Pilgrim yeah. thank you yes those are great little things and they use him but then it's just so frustrating to see him not be able to do anything beyond or outside that yeah as he does that Marlon Brando impersonation in the Twin Peaks. Yeah, that's okay. that's good. Yeah, that's, okay. fun. Okay. that's fun. Spoilers, spoilers, please. <laughs> Gross. Um, I thought that I thought that young adult was stronger than Juno, though. In my personal opinion, okay. it was more compelling. And, no, uh, and, and interestingly, just, you're wrong. One other thing before we kind of move off. I think in terms of sound, and we've talked about soundtracks before on this podcast, and I do want to just make like I think Juno. And young adult, to a certain extent, really kind of revel in that kind of pop soundtrack, yeah. and they, they, they have a lot of that going on. It was interesting to see that Tully did not use that as much. Not as much, but the opening credit sequence of Young Adult, where you're like inside the cassette deck. Yeah, yeah, oh, that was really man. good, right? One of my favorite things. And it, and, it was so. And honestly, good. that Teenage Fan Club song is great. I love, I love that song. I love them, and and it's great to see that kind of get celebrated. A Merge Records band, if I'm not mistaken. You know what? Fuck uh, how long we've been talking. <laughs> <laughs> we all haven't, right, we haven't told right. Joe, Joe. I'm curious. Joe, we made it. We made a decision to keep the the program not explicit. Oh, I mean, you can do it. Yeah, anyway. fuck it. Look, my question is this: We decided to, to talk about. Tully and uh, Juno and you know this new film this thematic trilogy yeah like like like, like this, this 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 couple's work Diablo and Jason like what have they done and what are they doing right what is the evolution of this coupling I'm curious I because they're clearly going to be making more movies yeah, I, hope I hope so. so I think that 
one thing I will say is after watching Young Adult this morning and having seen Tully last night, I think that Tully is a much richer film having seen Young Adult because hmm. it's kind of like, you know, you have a, the, the whole Brooklyn sequence in Tully that we talked about earlier, and that's kind of like the character from Young Adult, even though it's Minneapolis, it's Minneapolis and not the Minneapolis, as they call it, yeah. uh, and not the Big Apple. And then in Young Adult, you have the opposite of that, where you have the person that you know she's idolizing right. Tully kind of idolizing her situation think and she says at one point she's like how are these people so happy with so little yeah when she seems to have much more and is still not happy and the, right. I think that the relationship of the two movies makes each one of them better Absolutely. than if you just saw one of them on their own yeah. and that's that's why I think it's important and it's something that American moviegoers are not as familiar to or don't seem to have well, like a strong a grasp of but the idea of a thematic trilogy absolutely and I think it's going to go beyond that because I think what we're going to see is them exploring I hope them marriage. exploring stuff well mm-hmm. marriage empty nesting like yeah. the, I, fe- I feel like they could continue, or, or maybe even separately. It may not even need to be together. Right. But that we are going to see films that explore these kind of phases of life when it comes to, like, again, right now it seems, you know, Tully is very much about children and what they do when they come into one's life. But I feel like there's films to be made about, like, what happens when children exit the life. Now, to kind of wrap up the whole, um, you know, discussion we've been having, it was mentioned ad nauseum at the beginning of this episode that I'm the only non-parent in the room uh, and that, you know, that does, you know, create a different kind of context for me watching Tully, especially more than anything else. But I will say that it was interesting seeing Tully with uh, with my fiance, who we, we do have somewhat differing opinions on, uh, you know, parenthood and mm-hmm. our desire thereof. Uh, so, so we left the movie and she was like, so, so what'd you think about it? And I was like, yeah, it was pretty good. And she was like, did it make you want to be a parent? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> she was like, yeah, I think me either. And I was like, yeah, yeah it doesn't, it doesn't it, inspire it's, parenthood. It's not a, yeah. It's not like, yeah, I mean, parenthood's going to be so rewarding. It's like, man, this is, this is rough. It is rough. <laughs> and so it was, it was kind of funny seeing it in, in, in that context, though we both did enjoy it a great deal. Now to get back to the beer, very high in alcohol content. And I yeah. will say that that is becoming very apparent to me the farther <laughs> this episode that we get, but it is, Incredibly, incredibly tasty. It's tasty. I mean, these guys, this is, when when you trace back this idea of aging things in different barrels, I mean, Goose Island were the the vanguard. They were doing this before anybody was doing this. They were getting bourbon barrels. And apparently the story is like, these were things that were discarded, right? People, you know, when distilleries were done with their barrels, they were like, where can we put these things? We need to get rid of them. And Goose Island comes along and says, hey, what if we put beer in these things? And what if we, oh, that could actually be kind of interesting. It might impart some flavors. And now it is a whole cottage industry. It's like an offshoot of the craft beer phenomenon is people getting, it's not just bourbon, it's rum, it's all these tequila barrels. If it tastes good, if it succeeds, and this one does. Yes. Hey, cheers, guys. I mean, all this, you got, I mean, all those wonderful flavor notes. I mean, it's a big beer to begin with, but then you get the vanilla, the, those coffee notes. Oh, it's just fantastic. I think it's a good thing that we're winding up this episode. I don't know. Who loves movies? Who loves movies? Yeah, David seems to be unfazed by all of this. Every, 
every time we record, I have to say, you just seem to, it doesn't affect you. You must have the highest tolerance. <laughs> if you love movies, if you love beer, you got to go to Facebook, facebook.com slash beer and the movie TX.com or, or our website, beer and a movie podcast.com. Hit us on Twitter, beer and a movie podcast, or I think, you know, come, come on to all of our social media pages, Certainly. G- give us suggestions, give us recommendations for pairings, films you want to see us talk about. We're, we're talking about doing some retrospective episodes, yeah, maybe doing like that. an 80s app here in the, in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ethan's going to be teaching a class on 80s cinema, so I think we might kind of delve back into that. But whatever the case may be, we want to hear what you're thinking. Did you love Tully? Did you love Juno? Do you love Young Adult? Do you hate all of them? Tell us. If you want to send us some beer, we can't get down here. <laughs> and, I'm, um, you know, short of breaking any laws, by all means, yeah. you know, you can, uh, you can hit us up on all of the social media sites and also find us on the podcast app, the Apple Podcast app, or whichever app you're, um, you know. You're using for your podcast. Exactly. So Rate, review, subscribe, please- all that kind of stuff. Keep keep your eyes open. There'll be more episodes coming soon. Beer and a movie podcast. Adios. 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 Adios.